This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Whakatane. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's Whakatane going today? Uh, it's, I don't know if I get sick of saying it's a beautiful day in Whakatane. <laughs> I think I say that every time we talk, it is so pretty out there. The sun is shining, we're heading for 20 degrees, and finally last night it was cool enough to warrant a blanket. It's the first time I've had a blanket on my bed since October. And we're also joined in Fakatani by Judy Turner. Ah, kia ora. Welcome. Thank you very much. So how are things going in your bubble? Uh, well, my bubble is just my husband and I. Um, and I'm working from home, so I spend a lot of time in this little room I call my office um, on Zoom meetings and um, trying to, um, it's a very difficult, we've had a, a very difficult uh, triennium to date because we've had the Fakari White Island eruption, which was a, an incredibly serious event, and we were, we were really still in recovery phase of that when the pandemic um, hit. And so we had to go straight back into an emergency operations centre and um, just get ourselves out of the building and go into bubble mode. So it's been a very, um, for, for my councillors um, in the community, it's been, um, four of whom are brand new, um, that's been a difficult journey to try and get the heads around a work programme that's actually a bit of a moving feast at present. So in terms of your work, you're, you're happily working from home? That, that's working as a thing for you? Yes, it is. Um, I'm a bit of a people person, so um, I like to keep I like contact with others, and kind of that motivates me a lot. Um, but I've there's actually been quite a lot to consider, and I've been doing things I wouldn't normally get to do, like watch some webinars on some really interesting things like economics, um, particularly economics under um, COVID, and what um, is being recommended to local government. So I've been doing a lot of thinking and reading. Um, in a way that I probably wouldn't get time to normally. What have you been reading? I've been reading a little bit about um, team and uh, leadership uh, because um, normally and under normal circumstances, I'd be very focused on um, building the team dynamic um, around, not so much around agreement, but around trust and in fact, we were on our uh, councillor retreat um, halfway through our first day, uh, which was heading towards us a more strategic thinking when White Island blew up. So I'm still in that space where 
I've got a whole lot of um, really cool new people who are on my team. Uh, from really, we've got, I've got a scientist, I've got a tourism expert, um, I've got a farm, new farmer who I haven't had anything to do with in the past. I've got a whole lot of people from a range, and plus some colleagues I've known for a long time, and trying to form that into a team of people that can uh, get things done is um, as important as the work itself in the early stages. And because we've had all these setbacks, we're a little bit, in my mind, behind the eight ball in terms of where I'd prefer to be by this time. I'm going to play here Carol King. You've got a friend. This is your choice.
You mentioned how the the term so far has been challenging, but you're sounding positive about that. I think I think that a time like a crisis, what tends to happen is that I think as human beings we are more resistant to change um, and more resistant to the unknown than we would like to pretend we. We are, and as we come, as we start to look at what it means and how we move forward, it's going to require a lot more agile thinking, I believe, and that we that maybe normal will have to change. So we beyond this particular crisis, we are also as a planet looking at, at um, climate change and a number of other challenges. And so, what do we want to? And I, one of the things I've been talking to my council about is um, a line I came across in one of my readings, which was about what sort of um, ancestors do we want to be? And that's a question I want to put to my community, actually, because it's not just about a few elected people sitting at a table. What actually do we want to do that our future generations will look back and go, thank you very much, that's really helped us with where we're at now. And so I'm looking at this thinking this is incredibly disruptive, more disruptive than um, we would have planned for. But in the middle of that disruption, and we talk about getting back to business as usual, uh, what about that should we be weighing up a little bit more carefully? And this council had already committed itself to the fact that we would use climate change as a lens through which we would view all that we do. Um, and so what's this is just now, I guess, made it more real, I guess, that we have to start thinking about um, how we adapt. And I think we are a very resilient community um, relative to others. And I say that because we've been through a lot um, over the years. We, I go back 30-something years and we had the Edgecombe earthquake, which was an extreme event. Uh, we've had a whole range of flooding events some of them very localised, but some of them quite like in Edgecombe a few years ago, very serious flood where we evacuated most of the town. Um, and we have, we've just had more than our fair share of natural disasters. And what that means is that in an emergency, we're quite quick to stand up a, re, a response team. Um, and we're, as a community, we're really used to getting alongside each other and supporting each other. 
The difference this time, of course, with a pandemic is that what you normally do in a crisis is the complete opposite of what you have to do now. So normally we get together, we hang out, we, we look after each other, we you know, give each other hugs and say, we'll get through this. And now we've been telling people, don't you dare do that. That's the last thing we want you to do. So we have to find other ways to, of supporting each other going forward. And, you know, I think that in a way, what I've seen around our community, well, one of the things I have set myself as a goal, because I think sometimes in the middle of a crisis, a few goals to um, how you do life need to come up. And I decided my job is very sedentary and I don't do anywhere near enough exercise. So I'm going for a walk for about an hour a day. And I even have to confess here online that I've even started running. It's not pretty, but I'm doing it. And um, as I'm going about, because we're all allowed, we're allowed to get, do some exercise, but we've got to keep our distance. And I've found people incredibly respectful. We all move out of each other's way as we come across each other. But we do yell at each other across the park and say, how you going? And people don't know who, you know, some of them recognize me, some of them don't. But we have these, these great conversations. Um, and I, in a way, so there's a sense of community that's actually strengthened with people that you don't know so well. And people are having neighborhood. I've got some friends who were talking about one of the things they do in their, their little neighborhood. There's about four properties with it that have got adjoining boundaries. And they all sit on their decks about 10 o'clock in the morning, have a cup of tea, and yell at each other. And, and, have a, had a, and really had some great connections with each other. The stories like that that I'm coming across all the time of people that are doing things a little bit differently um, because that's what the crisis allows and facilitates. I like that child. <laughs> she just came in to show me the cranberries that she has just picked. Oh, go her. Good girl. Actually, that's, that's I guess, the thing if you asked, somebody said to me the other day, what do you miss eating? And I thought, I probably had the opposite problem. I've probably been overeating. <laughs> but uh, what I really miss is I've got seven grandchildren who I absolutely adore and are the absolute dream of my life. And and apart from um, FaceTiming them, we, you know, you just don't have that same contact. They're missing, missing talking with them. They're quite young. Some of them, they range from two through to nearly 10 um, in age. But it's that meaningful contact with them is, is something I really have um, missed. Yeah, well, both of her parents are essential, an essential nurse and essential journalist. So she's our essential granddaughter. Yes, absolutely. Love it. <laughs> Unfortunately, none of my children uh, reside in Pakistan, so we have to do it by distance. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui ki a koutou ko tahu hau. Hope you're all having the best day. Your beautiful beloved bubbles. I'm very grateful to have some more time with you. Thank you so much. How wonderful that we can all be physically manifested here at the same time. How wonderful that we can all communicate with this incredible cutting edge technology that we have created as a species of animal. And how wonderful that the beautiful consciousness that we have evolved can connect amongst our species but also amongst all life that we are connected to in an infinite web how incredibly encouraging and inspiring for us all 
So I thought that we'd really dive and delve into the realm of love today. And I think that this is a really important aspect of our lives at all times, but particularly when we are needing some extra support and guidance as we are at this time together. So when I was seven, I had the wonderful learning opportunity of leaving beautiful Broad Bay and my life with my three parents, my mum, my mum's best friend who's a woman and my mum's best friend who's a man, and journeying from Broad Bay up a tree or in the sea on the beautiful Targo Peninsula to LA South Central Los Angeles and then Glasgow and Scotland and then London and England. So I was very culture shocked by that shift away from nature. But I had the wonderful opportunity of experiencing love at a distance from an early age. And my other mother, Ginny, said to me, you know, whenever you need me, I'm always with you in your heart. We're always together in our hearts. And so this really early ability to go into my heart and feel the love that was there, feel the love that's always there, has really, really helped me throughout my life. And I think this is a time when we all need to be practicing those skills in terms of tuning into the love that constantly surrounds us and allowing ourselves to feel it. So as we all know, we can intellectually experience something. We can know that we're loved. We can know that there are people all over the world that love us. We can know that there are people all around us who appreciate us and admire us and are there to support us. But unless we can actually emotionally engage with that knowledge and feel it, it's hard to draw the same level of emotional sustenance and resilience from that knowing if it's not on an emotional level. So I think during this time, it's such an opportunity for us to really connect with ourselves and find new ways to support ourselves and care for ourselves and clear any obstacles that are there in terms of our support for ourselves. So it's quite interesting that we are, as a species of animal, very keyed into reward systems and we will allow ourselves to feel the love that's there all the time only under certain circumstances. So it might be someone has to say something, then we can feel the love that's there. Someone has to do something, then we can feel the love that's there. And what we're experiencing, I think, at the moment is that whole thing of if the person is not there, it's harder for us to feel the love that's there. So as we know, we are here as a product of billions of years of evolution, all of the ancestral life forms that have come before us have made our lives possible. And for many of our ancestors, they were separated across vast distances and tracts of time. And the form of communication that they had was very different from the forms of communication that surround us now. So in terms of the immediacy that we can communicate with each other, with across the globe it's just incomparable and so that immediacy of communication is certainly a great boon to us to feel the love that's there but I also think that that opportunity to go within and tune into the process of allowing ourselves to feel love and re-engage with us loving 
it's a really really great opportunity for us so if you can take the time to think about what it is that you currently need in order to feel the love that surrounds us all constantly and then see if you can reframe that so see if you can allow yourself to really feel that love not just intellectually know that that love is there for you but actually feel it and practice doing that and practice amplifying it so when you're feeling it really going into that feeling giving it your full attention ramping it up turning up the volume on that feeling and drawing emotional sustenance from that experience i think that would be really really beneficial certainly helping me a lot at the moment so i hope that you're all having a really great day in your beautiful beloved bubbles and i'm looking forward to having some more time with you next time thanks so much Kakite. you're talking about what sort of ancestors do you want to be that's it's sustainability type thinking I think that, you know, in the past, our one of our visionary statements for council, and I've been on council for nine years prior to being mayor, um, one of our statements was that Whakatane would be the best place to live, work, and, and raise a family. Now, that's a great ambition, but it's very pres- present tense. And so by, by considering ourselves as ancestors, and, and I think as a grandparent, that's a bit even easier to consider, because I am. I do want to leave something that's a good place for my grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, I'd love to stay away long enough to meet them. Um, but actually, we need to think about what they things. We know that we are probably going to experience some uh, population growth against earlier predictions that we are a region in decline. Uh, some of the government's initiatives and the provincial growth fund that we've secured some funding from are going to open up some opportunities over the next 10 years for some, uh, quite a big increase in jobs which will ultimately be a, a, a growth in population as well. Now, one of our challenges, we've got two challenges with that opportunity. One is um, housing, and the other is training and, and getting a workforce ready. Now, the housing one is really interesting because the normal approach to needing more housing these days is intensification. And... Uh, and normally I would agree with that, you know, smaller sections, more high rise, you know, pack us in a little bit, have some really good open spaces um, and precincts for people to do their lives in that may be a bit more shared. And normally I would be really happy with that, but we are a coastal um, community or, or part of our district where the greatest population is, is coastal. And therefore we know that with, with sea level rise that, that intensifying on a coastal area may be the stupidest thing that we could do. And so if we look at housing development, while Greenfields developments are considered a much more expensive option because of all the additional uh, infrastructure you have to put in place, I think we may need to be looking at something like that going forward. So how do we uh, sell that to property investors and get that thinking? We're also very closely aligned relationally uh, with um, Two neighbouring councils, so Putaki and Kaurau. Um and uh, when we did our, we, we kind of see ourselves as code, um, interdependent, that uh, what's good for one is usually good for the rest of us as well. Uh, all three of us have had provincial growth fund um, monies come our way, and so economic development's happening, uh, although in different spaces, uh, regionally that's, that's coming together really nicely for us. So we're working that together, and one of the challenges for uh, Fakatani is that a lot of people who work in, say, Kaurau don't always live there. 
Some of them live in Rotorua, some of them live in Whakapani. Now, I think they want and aspire to having some more residential development, but we also know some of that will flow in our direction and there will be a benefit. So how do we, in anticipation of that, uh, begin to think about what housing will look like um, and then, of course, around employment is, is looking at, uh, we've got some um, two very, very uh, internationally renowned boat builders who can't get enough staff and are importing them from overseas. So how do we get ourselves a workforce that's ready to, say, fill in those particular jobs? So we're setting up, we're talking about setting up a marine school, um, and that marine school will, will the aim is to cover everything from alloy welding and boat building skills through to skippers, tickets, and all those kinds of things. Um, as, and we've got the one of our PDF projects is, of course, a harbour. And the interesting thing about the harbour is that we've got some experts in. They looked up and down the river to see where a new ha um, boat harbour would best be. And the place they found, which was not where any of us were expecting it, is on the other side of the river from the town, up away, away a bit from the town, and but actually environmentally is an extremely good option. Um, it is um, on multiply owned Maori land. It will be using that, and so it's a wonderful investment for people whose land currently just grow, grows a crop of maize and, and pays its rates bill basically. And now they've got the real opportunity for uh, economic development uh, with that land trust. Um, and Nati Awa will be also at the table, and so will the Crown. So we've got this uh, remarkable re relationship uh, developing that one project. So going forward, it's looking at, um, I mean, we are, we have also got farming, we've got dairying, we've got horticulture, we've got a number of other areas. And it's going to be very interesting. I think the government's policy around water is going to be a very interesting one for the rural sector. And um, I think around uh, intensification, I think around water allocation, and some of those things which uh, sound like they're up for renegotiation, I think that's going to be, um, for them, a very difficult thing. Although I think right now we need to be pretty careful because our our export market is going to be now pretty reliant back on our food production. So I just I think it's going to be really interesting to see how government and everybody responds to some of these aspirational things. The worst thing was that we throw them away. I think there's some of the aspirations around how we can be um, environmentally better placed um, should never be dropped. They're very important parts of our future. And I so said the risk at present is that as we hunker down and try and get ourselves through this, that we park things that should actually maybe an opportunity to advance them. You can play the game and you can act out the part, though you know it wasn't written for you. But tell me how can you stand there with your broken heart? Ashamed of playing a fool But one thing can lead to another It doesn't take any sacrifice Oh, father and mother Sister and brother If it feels nice Don't think twice Just shower the people you love
James Taylor, Shower the People. There's another one of yours. Yeah, like him too. <laughs> Actually, I went, I just, I went, I was a girlfriend of mine. We went up to um, a James Taylor, Carol King concert a few years ago in Auckland. And it was amazing to see two people who are actually probably technically elderly. <laughs> I just feel very remarkable performers, <laughs> and the and the room was full with baby boomers. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> still making such a huge contribution. It was a great night. You're talking about all the positive things that you're you're doing there, and it's interesting that it's a positive approach that you're taking to be saying, let's not focus on the the the, the hunkering down. Let's still have all those the, those plans and positive things in mind of all the societal changes that have happened in the last month or so what do you think will stick 
And perhaps, perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Do you know what? That's that's a very good question. I think. Um, I think we have, and I don't know whether I think it's true probably throughout New Zealand. I think we have a renewed sense of community. At the last local government conference that I went to in Wellington, oh sorry, that's a, I live near a fire station. One of the things that we are required to do in local government is we are required to consult with the community on all our plans and all our intentions. Now, the problem with that, and I think Parliament suffers from the same process, is that you is the public come in and they feel like they are chipping away at half-set concrete. You know, we've come up with this idea and we're saying, what do you think of our idea? Now, it's not that nothing can be changed, but it's a more difficult process. What was being recommended is that we do much better at public engagement, which uh, feeds into the idea of co-design of important uh, community outcomes. And the problem with that idea is that right now the Local Government Act does not facilitate that very well. We run out of time too quickly uh, in the process. And so I, I did go and see the Minister of Local Government when we had a bit of an election issue, um, and she was very uh, helpful and has actually since promised to fix the Local Government Act, but she did as a throwaway line in our meeting joke about the fact that maybe the whole act needs a revision and I would have to say I do believe that is true that um, we really do need to rethink and particularly the relationship between central and local government I think at times suffers from some of the um, provisions of the local government act um, but I do think that um, going forward we need to find it new ways of engaging. I, I think the submission process, which is very formal and only really captures people who've got the confidence to write in a submission and then stand, sit in front of you and speak in a public forum to that submission. Well, that, that leaves a whole lot of people off the list who just for whom that's just way outside their skill set. But when you talk to them conversationally, you find they do have opinions and they some of them have some very good ideas about what could happen. So I think we need to be re-looking at, at community engagement um, through a different lens. And I think the Local Government Act needs to be shushed up so that it reflects that opportunity for local government to do such, such things. Do you think this is an opportunity for a more open democracy? I'm thinking that the Tago Regional Council had a uh, meeting by Zoom last week and they yeah. fought, fed it to YouTube and by the end of the or the middle of it rather um, I think there were 125 people watching at one point and Good. I don't know that they've ever had more than 10 or 15 people in the, the public gallery oh look at our council we virtually have nobody from the public come and occasionally we do we we did have a um Occasionally you get some people who are sort of council, self-appointed council watchdogs, actually very good people actually in general, they you know, take it upon themselves to sit and listen and get their heads around all, all that we're doing, so I, I don't mind that, um, but they're very few and far between because in, in the case of our council we meet during the day when people are at work. Um, but I think you know a lot of councils are looking at video, having video links into their meetings so that even afterwards people could, um, like you do with Parliament, you can look back and see what happened during the day and, and catch up. I think that's got merit.
Gleasel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hi there everyone, it's Liesl here, happy bubbling. I uh, hope that the bubble is bubbling <laughs> in, a good, in a good way um, and hope you're having a great day. I am just thinking about this whole life after lockdown kind of uh, how that's going to feel, what that's going to be like. Because um, as much as I'm sure we are all kind of hanging out to get back into things, well, um, there's also, in some ways, I'm going to be kind of, um, yeah, not sad that lockdown's over. Uh, definitely not sad, but I think the whole pace of life that's been happening during bubble time has been really good for me. Anyway, I, I don't know how that works for everybody, but um, slowing everything down having time to organize your day how you want to organize it uh, and not having the the pressures of kind of having to be somewhere at a particular time uh, traffic having to navigate lots of people and uh, probably packing way too many appointments into one day as we tend to do and then racing around trying to sort of get everything done and then trying to fit in friends family dinner, cleaning the house, uh, the jobs that you're meant to do, more work. I mean, this time has really made me stop and think how we have somehow become machines, haven't we, in some ways, and we race around at high speed, and are we, are we meant to be doing that? I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I am not a human being that works well at high speed, so... I try to run my life actually at a slower speed and so lockdown really works for me but it's interesting to sort of reflect on how the slower pace of life might be something we can maybe incorporate into into life after lockdown you know if it's if it's actually given us a chance to pause maybe a chance to feel calmer I don't know about about everyone else but I feel calmer, I think my my sleep is better, I'm feeling like there's less sort of like racing sort of you know fast heart rate kind of like got to get that done and oh pressure pressure yeah just all of those things seem to have kind of uh, disappeared. So what does lockdown life post-lockdown life, post-lockdown life, look like for you. Uh, so I guess it's about just, yeah, what, what have we learned from this? What are we experiencing now that we can maybe take into the future? Uh, I know that there's lots of things that people will probably be like, yep, can't wait to not, not be experiencing that anymore. But, but there's lots of things that hopefully we can all take away from it and then go do lots of things that I guess we're missing as well. So I hope that we come back into life after after the big lockdown with a bit of balance and I guess a little bit of measured sort of now that we've had this enforced pause time, 
how do we incorporate a bit more of that into our daily lives? I mean, things like meditation and mindfulness and a lot of uh, things that have obviously been popular and around for a while. Actually, they may sound kind of cliched or sort of, uh, I guess, like fads in a way, but I think they actually probably just represent some of those spaces that we need to create for ourselves. And the lockdown time has kind of given us a bit of space like that. So I hope the bubble time is, uh, for the most part, a, a good time. And you are able to take away something from it that actually can fuel life after lockdown in maybe a different way, a little bit of an exciting way, maybe a way that is unexpected and um, positive. So those are my thoughts a few musings for today hope hope you're all doing okay take care of yourselves out there um judy have you seen what's happening with the online shopping yes i've seen um, a bit community. of to kind of go in and, and like a lot of businesses to kind of boost their numbers i know for a fact that we are definitely looking at some messaging around that so we have a team of people at council who are focused on um that often it's been a tourism and eventing focus, which obviously that's got a big, um, quest, not a question mark over it, but it's going to need to be stood up in a different way, I suspect. Um, but yes, in the short term, I think what we do need is we need people out, back out spending money and, and getting the, the money circulating around. And I think the fact the government's given beneficiaries some more money, uh, they've helped with wages, I think that's a really positive thing because... Uh, Actually, people going out and buying some stuff is actually that they need is actually more helpful than people sitting at home thinking they've got a rain in their spending. I think that's actually incredibly unhelpful. Well, you've been developing online shops with people. Yeah, um, I started um, at a call from our local greengrocer. Uh, asked me if I would asked for some help, didn't know what to do to, to get his business um, able to keep operating and so I was I built him a shop and it was such a huge success and so there, there's going to be more of that I think and, and that's actually changed the way that he'll do business forever and I see, Judy do you agree that it's just going to be a, a big change for the whole community. Our community seems to have embraced the whole let's not go to the supermarket, let's get stuff delivered um, yeah, I see the the the, the, uh, the countdown truck go past my house. I live in a small cul-de-sac. It goes past at least once a day, and we we seem to have a, adapted to a no bricks and mortar sort of shopping. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has been focused around um, people with um, underlying health concerns. We we being out and about is is um, not not advised or elderly people, um, yeah. and I. I haven't used that process because I don't have an underlying health concern and feel well, somebody should be at the, at the counter and it has to be me. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that um, online shopping is, I mean, my only concern about that is that you're then uh, subject to a lot of competition from overseas people in a way that a, a shop front um, doesn't necessarily um, have to contend with. Um, but I do think that that. Yeah, I think that businesses are going to look at different. I mean, I was, it was interesting. I heard a, um, my husband was out walking, and he said he bumped into somebody who was at his takeaway uh, shop, and was kind of looking at his 
shop and going, um, I wonder if I can open. Like he was trying to figure out if there was a way that he could serve people safely, create the distancing measures, and he just wasn't too sure whether it was worth it or not, or you know, whether he just hung out a little bit longer until we dropped down from level three. But he was there having a think about it. And I think some mm. of those thought processes and, and conversations could be really helpful and may change the face of retail as we know it. Um, but I still think, I mean, shopping is also a social exper um, experience. You know, I actually like going to the supermarket. I don't take forever because I'm constantly sitting and having conversations with people. And I don't get that online. So I, I don't know whether, I'm, maybe it's just because I'm an extrovert, but I actually like going shopping. And we, it's pathetic, but the highlight of my week at present is the one trip I take off my property <laughs> exercise to go buy some groceries. Um, and obviously, you know, you can't have, and can't get too close to people, but it's just really nice to see some people and, and kind of wave across the, the parking lot at them. So, you know, I, I think the, the CBD thing, I think that's another area where towns are going to be different. I think, think we're going to see a change around what a CBD looks like and that sort of open nine till five, everything shuts down and you can't find anything to go and do. I think that I think that they could become more vibrant living spaces over time and quite a, a social connection place. So I, I kind of, I'm not sure that online shopping is um, the only thing that could develop. I, I would like to see some, I think the co-location, for instance, you know, um, I remember the first time I went into Asia, and I went, and I think I was in Hong Kong, and I, I wanted to buy some shoes. And I found this whole street of shoe shops and thought, how weird, fancy co-locating like that. What would that do? And now I realize what a smart thing to do. Because if you want to go and buy shoes, you then go and look at everybody. You don't sort of have to drag yourself around a whole city trying to find where all the shoe shops are hidden. And so I think that eateries, we know that with eating um, places and things like that, restaurants where you have a shared public space where people can actually sup from a few tables if they need to um, and socialise with each other, I think those are really good. And I wonder too with, with um, a number of other key services around, um, say, clothing, um, gifts and that kind of thing, where you may get uh, people relocating and, being, and understanding the mutual benefit of being near each other. I'll tell you one other good story that I think is one of my favorite stories for the COVID issue. I received a letter from a chief executive of a large uh, infrastructure company, that's a, they're a roading company, and he said in his letter, I've been contacting all the other roading companies in the area, and he's talking about his previous people who are his competitors, and saying, let's, let's try and work in a collaborative way so that none of us fall over. Now, isn't that nice? That's isn't awesome. Isn't that a change? Mm. I and love that. I, yeah, and so I sent his letter to our chief executive. She's been running a, a Zoom meeting of chief executives from a whole lot of different um, backgrounds every week as they kind of work together to say, how can we support each other as we stand up? as a community and I said you got he, this guy needs to be part of that because he's got such an inclusive attitude um, and I think that's that's the kind of thing where the old competitive approach to life may need to change um, so that everybody benefits and I think we've, we've, we've over we've misunderstood that competition while it can motivate us it doesn't always serve us well no it doesn't I agree with that that is absolutely awesome. If that was a thing that's, if that was a change that stuck, then we are winning. Yep. 
And so you measure that. Here's another thing. So you marry that kind of thinking in with the fact that we, one of our provincial growth funds is that we want to revitalize um, our town centre, which is classic uh, town that was designed years ago, sitting along a beautiful river, facing away from the river, so the river's complete, and, and, the, and the next thing for the thing is a flipping car park of all stupid things. So we're looking at how we re-dig our space there so that it's a public space where people can enjoy the beautiful environment that we have and, and, and as part of their shopping experience. It's more than a shop. It's actually a connecting place. And I actually think that that type of project starts to drive this idea of what town centres could and should look like in the future. Hello darkness, my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared By the flash of a neon light To split the night Touch the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices no one dared Disturb the sound of silence Fools that I do not know Silence like a cancer grows Hear my words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words Silent raindrops fell Echoing the world of silence And the people bowed and prayed To the neon god they made And the sign flashed out its warning the words that it was forming And the sign said the words of the prophets Are written on the subway walls The tenement halls Whispering the sounds of silence
We're writing a book of these conversations over on Sustainable Lens. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. So it's the team of people doing good work. So you're in that superhero team. What's your superpower? I'm a communicator and I am a team builder. And it's not all about me. I'm a great believer if you're going to look to the future, you look at succession planning as well. And that's some other challenges that we have in council. We are considered male, pale and style, and that's for a reason. That it isn't actually our fault. <laughs> so we need to look at, at how we bring other people up into leadership. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Here, here. In that space, yes. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Use this time to rethink your priorities um, and refocus on what truly gives you um, satisfaction and fulfilment. Um, and sometimes it's not in things, it's in people and in places and what you can contribute. I thought about this thing. I think that serving the needs of other people is therapeutic. It's actually good for us. And as we recover, don't just be self-focused, focus on others. Thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined by Mawira Karatai and by Judy Turner in Fakatani. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.